My name is Elizabeth Mack, and I'm the founder and CEO of Holistic Caring. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is produced by Natural Learning Enterprises, a mission-driven company dedicated to enhancing critical thinking skills and public scientific literacy about life in the natural world. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. Come on, Molly! It'll be an adventure! Phoebe called out as she followed Brother Toadstool. Brother Toadstool led Phoebe and Molly into a tunnel that went deep down into the ground. As they climbed into the tunnel, they found themselves getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Our new children's book, A Toadstool's Treasures, takes young readers on an adventure into the fun and fascinating world of fungi. Learn more and find mycology-related learning resources, games, and lesson plans for teachers and homeschooling families at toadstoolstreasures.com. Biodiversity loss due to habitat loss and fragmentation is rapidly increasing around the world with devastating consequences. Learn how you can help contribute to native habitat corridors in your community and reconnect with your wild neighbors at gardenwild.org. Oregon recently became the first state in the United States to legalize the medical use of psilocybin. As cities all over the country begin to decriminalize the use of entheogenic plants and fungi, it's time to have a serious discussion about psychedelics. The Serious About Psychedelics limited series podcast is coming soon. Learn more at SeriousAboutPsychedelics.com. You can learn more about Natural Learning Enterprises at naturaledu.com. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today, I'm really excited to be joined with Elizabeth Mack, who's a registered nurse and is the founder of a company called Holistic Caring, which is focused on... uh, essentially training people to uh, teach other people about the therapeutic uses of cannabis. And I'm particularly excited because Elizabeth and I have uh, joined a new venture together. We're working on uh, building new educational materials and doing teaching together. So very, very excited to be joined with Elizabeth Mack. Elizabeth, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Jason. Absolutely. Yeah. And um to kick things off uh, in a good way for those that might be listening that are totally unfamiliar with you and your work, um, let's dive a little bit into your background and then we'll talk about how holistic caring came about and kind of some of the stuff we're working on now. But um, um, how did you, I guess to start, you know, you're a nurse, what types of healthcare environments and patient populations were you working with before you kind of dove into the the world of cannabis and cannabinoid therapeutics? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So uh, 1987, I graduated from college with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, 
and I spent my first 10 years in hospital working in mainly psychiatry because uh, oh. that's why I double majored in, in psych. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to help people in that population. So that was really my first, after about six months of med surge, and my first uh, post was the VA, Heinz VA oh, wow. in Chicago. And uh, so I did six months of med surge, which is almost mandatory. And then uh, I got into psychiatry, which is what I was waiting for. And shortly thereafter, I was charged nurse of the evening shift of uh, one of the psych units. There was 240 psych beds in this hospital. Wow. Uh, yeah, so eight units of 30, right? And um, and I got to run one of those. And so it was uh, it was quite amazing. I loved my journey. And uh, so my first almost four years were in Chicago there. And then uh, I, it, this was uh, 1990, the beginning of 1990, I, I took a post with a traveling nurse company uh, and did some travel nursing. And that's how I came out to California. So uh, then I, I, I was up in uh, Northern California at Sequoia Hospital, worked another couple of years there. Uh, and then I came down to Southern California to Escondido. Uh, which is where I ended up uh, moving and, and buying a house. <clears throat> and that's when I got into grad school because I knew that I couldn't just be a nurse, right? I, I, I wanted to do more and I knew that I was bigger than uh, direct patient care. I wanted to run the hospital. <laughs> I always had these <laughs> ambitions and, and bigger visions. Uh, so that's when I got into the MBA in healthcare administration. Uh, so from 1994 to 1996, I finished my MBA, and from that point on, I spent the next 20 years within insurance companies. So I did the first uh, five years in operations, started out in clinical operations, then general operations for medical managed care populations, um, and then I ended up going into the consumer uh, division. When we started Healthy Families, which is the CHIP program, uh, the mm -hmm. Children's Health Insurance Program, uh, I was quarterbacking that for HealthNet and then crossed over into uh, getting licensed in insurance, which is, uh, I did that at the end of 2000. Uh, and then, so I'm, I've maintained an insurance license ever since. So I maintained my license in nursing as a registered nurse uh, for 30 plus years, uh, never let that lapse. Uh, and then I'm licensed in all lines of insurance. So uh, life, health, uh, property, casualty, all of the commercial lines, as well as uh, you know, annuities and, and all of that. But but the mainstay of uh, what I worked in the most was employee benefits. So I spent like a solid 15 years writing employee benefits. So it, it, when I first joined the American Cannabis Nurses Association, I'm like, I'm not a nurse uh, because <laughs> I, I don't see myself as a nurse. I see myself as an insurance executive. Uh, and, and so my last real job was the regional sales manager for Anthem Blue Cross for the county of San Diego. So my post was uh, overseeing the broker development sales channels for about a thousand different brokers uh, here in San Diego County, and I would help them uh, with benefits and that sort of thing. But you know, so I know healthcare inside and out. And yeah, I've, really. You know, from from several different stages, right? So as a nurse, as a uh, a payer, and a and a, a person on the insurance side, uh, and then as a patient. So in 1993, I was injured by a patient. Uh, in psychiatry, we were doing a takedown mm -hmm. and, and I tore something in my shoulder <clears throat> and it got worse. Uh, and so I went to orthopedics and they gave me the cortisone shot and physical therapy and that didn't really work. And what happened was I started to feel like I couldn't brush my hair. I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't use my right mm -hmm. arm. 
So they're like, you have impingement syndrome. Let's just, you know, go in there, clean it up. They ended up taking an inch of my clavicle out to give it more room. Well, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, this, the, it grows back internally rotated. It grows back wrong. The neck, neck bones all come out. And so everything started hurting more from that surgery. And what did they tell me? You have fibromyalgia. Take Vicodin. Take muscle relaxants. Take all these pills. So I took the Vicodin for about six months, and I'm like, I can't do this. I, I'm a new MBA, and I'm working at a desk now instead of working in a, in a hospital where there's constant motion. I'm sitting there, and I was falling asleep. And I'm like, I can't take these Vicodin. So I just I switched over to high levels of Motrin, and I stayed there for 20-plus years. And so uh, all of those years... And you know everything snowballed. I, I and I wasn't I wasn't all that well. So at the end of 2014, um, I happened to have crashed my bicycle. I went out on leave to have surgery again. This shoulder. This is my uh, second surgery. I've subsequently had a third surgery where I got new ligaments in there because this has been my nemesis, this right shoulder. Uh, and so <laughs> it was crazy because um, I I knew I didn't want to stay at Anthem and. Uh, I, well, okay. I was implementing Obamacare and, mm -hmm. you know, as an insurance company, what did we do? We jacked up the rates. We took away benefits. We increased deductibles. We, we screwed up the networks. Uh, even the providers didn't know where they belonged and it was quite chaos. So when, and, and the other thing is I'd go up to corporate and everybody's, uh, happy about share prices. And, you know, Anthem Blue Cross is making more money than ever with Obamacare and we're screwing everybody. And I, I had a moral objection to my work and I said, I need to do something else. And I went to my chiropractor right after that surgery, a couple of weeks. And uh, she, uh, the chiropractor is like, why don't you have Denise work out your shoulder? She was doing a medical massage and she was using CBD in the oil. And I'm like, what is this? It smells funny. And she goes, it's cannabis. And I said, I don't want cannabis. And that was my foray into this because that's what she said. You have an endocannabinoid system and this is going to help the inflammation. It's going to help heal. It's going to help the pain and you can get back to using your shoulder faster. And I said, okay, sign me up and tell me more. And that was January of 2015. So going on six years. Uh, and what happened then was uh, she started telling me about CBD. She told me about cannamin, which was a flash dried CBD and everything was Humboldt flower. Uh, and so I had flower derived lab tested organic whole plant, uh, cannabis, uh, CBD. And I started to take that and the inflammation in my body started to go away. I started to go from 2000 milligrams of Motrin a day down to, well, today, uh, 200, I'll take like one Motrin wow. instead of 10, uh, and, order of magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, 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 uh, as far as the flexural and the muscle relaxants, I was taking eight of those a day and I was still in pain all the time. And now I take one every other day. Uh, so it's, it, it's insane. And I used to have constant migraines and I was taking Furanol every day and then Imitrex when that didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, I also at that time had high blood pressure and um, it, I don't know why, but I just got it. <clears throat> and so uh, you're going from 150 to 90. Uh, and so they put me on hydrochlorothiazide with cannabis and the last several years, I'm 120 over 70 all the time. Mm -hmm. Haven't had a high blood pressure pill in forever. I used to take Effexor uh, for depression. Don't have that anymore. I used to take Clonopin for sleep. Don't have that anymore. I used to take uh, Advair and, and Albuterol. I had lifelong asthma and I don't take any of those anymore. 
Wow. So Jason, like what I found over the period of the past several years in the ability to wean off pharmaceuticals and find better health. And of course, I started studying functional medicine in, in, in dubstep with this, uh, the, the cannabinoids, because it's not just about cannabis. It's, it's how do you use cannabinoids to be a facilitator to greater health? And you have to look at functional medicine for that. So I changed my diet. <clears throat> I went to, you know, from processed foods to whole plants. I, you know, I have a lot of, like, I just had yogurt and berries. I'll have a salad for lunch. For dinner, I'll have lean protein and, and vegetables and, and a small amount of starch. Uh, and, and that's, and I went from a, a few glasses of wine a day to one to two, you know, and, and just completely changed my diet into, and, and the inflammatory markers. And uh, now I, I exercise more. I'll take a, a vape. So because otherwise, was I moving? Was I doing my floor yoga? Was I, I, I right. been able to strengthen and tone and stretch? No, because I was always in pain. And so now that I'm out of pain, I'll take a vape, uh, a puff or two of like a one to one uh, before I work out. And every night I can do floor yoga and I've completely changed my body. I lost 20 pounds. I feel great. Uh, and so cannabis and functional medicine changed my life. And when I figured out how to do this for myself, I knew I needed to help others. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, there's so much that you just said that um, I want to spiral off of. I mean, one, it's it's fun to see as you're talking about that transition. I, you know, folks listening can't see, but I can see you light up as you're like remembering, you know, this process and and where you've come now. And one thing I knew we were going to get along really well. I didn't realize you had your background in psychiatry, but when I was in undergrad, I was preparing for psychiatry, um, almost double majored in psychology. I was like class away from getting all the credits. Um, and I was like, no, I'm done. I'm ready to move on. Um, but psychology and psychiatry is a, a big part of stuff that I've studied that I'm very interested in. My wife is a mental health therapist. Um, so one, uh, that's fascinating because one thing that I think about a lot um, with my own personal journey, um, sort of similar to yours, uh, mine is kind of with spinal issues, but, um, there's a mental health component to physical health that I think gets a lot of times sort of glazed over. You know, you're talking about, uh, I'm glad you mentioned this idea that cannabis can be a, an effective sort of stepping stone, um, towards other modalities like changing diet and, uh, changing your movement and all of that sort of thing. Cause, folks listening have heard me say it before, but going through all of those drug treatments to try to find relief, especially with a chronic pain issue or limited mobility issue like that, which I can relate to a lot, it's kind of a traumatic experience going through taking these drugs and feeling the sort of hopelessness that sometimes comes with that. Yeah. And I was going to say that word hopelessness. And, and so, so it, you know, as, as I started to heal myself, basically 2015 was a bridge year. I still worked a little bit of insurance, but I didn't go back to Anthem. I was doing some private work. Uh, and, um, then I, I, because I, I was exposed to this industry, I found out I was just Googling cannabis and meetups and there was a bunch of meetups that, you know, and, and so they started women grow down here in San Diego uh, and so I went to a few meetings of that at the end of 2015. And then January of 2016, I went to the national conference in Denver for women grow. And I'm like, people are making medicines, people are selling medicines, but nobody's sitting down and interpreting this for patients. Mm -hmm. And so that's why uh, in May of 2016, I hung out my own shingle and I started doing this with patients 
and the hopelessness that I felt within myself, you just see it in all of these people. And so, you know, going from a, 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 a nurse to a payer to a patient to now a provider, a one-on-one -on -one provider, I really got to see intimately into people's lives. And, you know, they always would trust me and sit down and have a conversation with me. And the beauty of what I do, just like other cannabis nurses, is that you study both sides of the ledger. Somebody mm -hmm. gives me their pharmacy list and I know exactly what's wrong with them. Uh, and then, you know, then you say, okay, here are the pharmaceuticals that we might be able to wean and replace with the cannabinoids and here's how they work and let's, let's put together a treatment plan. And you see the hope come back in their eyes. You see the joy in their heart. You see the security that they feel mm -hmm. and the, the optimism that returns. And so when we talk about chronic pain and mental health, they're intimately int uh, intricate. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it completely interlaced. Uh, and people don't even understand the mind-body connection because they're so disconnected from their body. They don't understand how their thoughts are now causing physicality, uh, you know, and, and discomfort. So uh, if you can, and, and with cannabinoids, and I always like to explain with pain, uh, there's three types of pain, nociceptive pain, where you hurt yourself and there's signaling going from the injury to the brain. Cannabis and THC specifically will turn down the volume on that. You have inflammatory pain and neuropathic pain. So now we have CBD, THCA, some of the anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. markers that we could use uh, to uh, use that daytime dosing uh, to be able to turn down the pain signaling and the inflammatory process of you know, whatever's going on in that joint or in the, the, those, the circulation. And then you have central pain. And central pain has a high emotional uh, component to it. And the cannabinoids activating serotonin channels, activating dopamine, yeah. uh, it will start to ease some of that suffering and some of the angst and the anxiety and the depression. And all of a sudden, people feel better because they don't even know why they're in pain. But, you know, I, I do my follow-up calls every two weeks and you see the progression where people are getting their lives back and they're, they're saying, you know, I, I was able to have my opiates uh, in the last couple of weeks. I was able to uh, start walking. I was able to uh, sleep better. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. And sometimes you're directly treating sleep and sometimes sleep is just a byproduct mm -hmm. of everything else that's going on. But when you start to ease some of the other pain and suffering and you, you activate serotonin during the day with the CBD at night, they're just sleeping better. And so you, you, sometimes trying to get people to be patient uh, is a little bit hard because they they want it like that. And they're so used to that uh, cause effect of pharmaceuticals that you're like, this is a journey and I'm on it with you. And we're going to find you uh, a way to health and wholeness. And it's a process. Absolutely. And uh, something that I, you know, when I teach about, particularly about CBD, just because of the clinical data that's there, I tell people, you know, you look at some of the research with like Epidiolex and you see that, you know, it can take up to 10 weeks for a clinical response to plateau. Um, and so you, it's even just with the cannabinoid component, not to mention all the other aspects of trying to increase, you know, exercise and mm. uh, improve mental health and all these other things, but just thinking pharmacologically about the cannabinoids, you know, sometimes you, you really need to be patient for a couple months or so before you can really judge what it's doing or how effective it's going to be. And I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about that, particularly because of the way that, as you know, that cannabis products are marketed. 
Um, just like anything else in the world and how things are marketed, it is, uh, you know, it's like, oh, just take this after, um, after your jog or whatever, and you'll be feeling great. And, you know, it, it gives this impression that it's all instantaneous. And uh, one thing I, I try to bring up anytime there's an opportunity to in these interviews is like, um, you know, we don't, ex we don't expect that from a lot of other medications, uh, you know, like, and I think titration is another thing that people take for granted. Um, they think they just take a dropper full and, you know, and move on. Um, so has that been your experience as well, that there's um, sort of this, oftentimes this gap of understanding of how long it can take for that therapeutic response to really make itself evident, and that there's this titration period of trying to find that optimal dose, that minimum effective dose that we're that's sort of like a holy grail of of medicine trying to find that sweet spot um what's your what's your experience with the the feedback that a lot of patients have with that mm -hmm. well i first off have to tell them this is biology this is <laughs> yeah this is not just we're going to take a pharmaceutical activator receptor and cause a response this is yes we're doing the same thing with the cannabinoids the phytocannabinoids but it's much slower and it's it's a much more nuanced subtle effect and, and so that's why my tracking log is so important. I give them uh, a cannabis tracking log, one to 10. Where are we at on these variables? I call them gauges, pain, mm -hmm. anxiety, memory, focus, mood, energy levels, sleep, uh, blood pressure, blood sugar. All of these things are impacted. And then we write down what they're taking and the dosage. And then we see slowly the trajectory of cause and effect. But you got to get them to understand that this is a process and that it's not immediate. Uh, and then they have to sign up for this. They have to believe mm -hmm. uh, that they can get well and uh, that, it, you know, it, and also it, it's about those varying degrees, right? So in that tracking log, it's one to 10. So we might be starting out at a seven, eight. Um, and then my goal is to get them to a four five and then eventually to a two, three. And then we talk about the quality of life changes, right? So yeah. it's all about variability and, and, and that sort of thing. And that it's a, it's a slow term process. Yeah. And that, and it sort of highlights a, um, <laughs> it's, it sort of highlights a, um, deficiency in some of the uh, clinical research as well. One thing that I've found in reading all tons and tons of studies for the work that I do is uh, sometimes the measurements that are taken during some of these, uh, the, the few clinical studies that have been published, um, they look at, they try to measure things like quality of life and uh, pain scores and all that, but it's often a very short window of time um, that that's being measured and there aren't many measurements. Um, at least in some of the publications that I've looked at. I'm sure there are some studies out there that have gotten more sophisticated with that. But it's something that's lingered in my head because some of these studies will conclude that, um, well, it didn't, um, it didn't impact their quality of life or it didn't impact um, their pain, sleep, or whatever. And it's like, well, that's hard to judge when you're looking at a very narrow time window and you're only taking a measurement twice or three times. Right. Um, and so I, I often caution people about how they in interpret those results because, uh, once again, going back to, you know, these are, this is a multiple month long endeavor or years sometimes, and it involves so many other aspects than just the cannabinoids and just taking them and, and seeing what the response is. And I think that also highlights an interesting 
a sort of psychological thing that a lot of us have about healthcare in general. Um, we're not really taught to think of managing our health as how do we create the space to take other lifestyle actions to get well. Um, it's just still very much the sort of Band-Aid approach, Band-Aid the symptoms, Band-Aid the symptoms. Um, and so it's it's fascinating that way. And it's something I really want to highlight, this concept of um, using cannabis to create the space to then take other actions to reach wellness. And that it's not always a this direct um, response. Right. And and where did we get this direct response? Through all of the yeah. pharmaceuticals, from, from clinical trials and testing. And, you know, you get in phase three and it's like in X amount of days, we're going to have these results. And, and you know, this, this patient population is going to, we're going to have this much efficacy, but it's, it's all BS, you know, mm -hmm. you think about, we, we have a $3.5 trillion bandaid in this country. We spend that much on healthcare in America between, you know, the co-pays and the co-insurance, the entire bloated system, $3.5 trillion. That's 18% of our GDP. Yet one out of two of us have a chronic condition that we're living with that impacts quality of life, impacts productivity. And what is the true efficacy of those pharmaceuticals and those treatments? When, when I think about my last five years of direct patient care, they're not getting any better, especially, you know, and, and there's no pharmaceuticals for any of the neurodegenerative conditions. Mm -hmm. They're very expensive ones for autoimmune conditions. Uh, and, and a lot of times they're not effective and they're also very harmful. Then, you know, I mean, and then think about you know, cancer uh, and it's a shotgun approach. Okay, let's, can we do surgery? Yes or no? Let's do chemotherapy to shrink the tumors. Let's give you five rounds of radiation every week for nine weeks. Let's get, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's crazy when you think about how they're, and they're all experimenting, but it's a sanctioned system. It's a paid for system, which is the other problem with cannabis. A, it's slower. B, it, it requires personal accountability and responsibility to make those changes uh, and to start tuning in and reading your body uh, and, and seeing yourself as having gauges and personalizing the medicine, using the CBD, the THCA, the CBG, the CBDA, and then the THC and the one-to-ones and the four-to-ones and, you know, all of these different ratios. Uh, and you have to teach them this is personalized medicine and you're in the driver's seat and that this might be several months. But the good thing is almost invariably, I have people contact me that says, I'm so glad I was patient because after six months, I really did notice a difference. And now I'm able to do X, Y, Z. I can go hiking. I can go, you know, and I have uh, endurance and stamina that I didn't used to have. And they would have never said that with the pharmaceuticals. Yes. And the sleep thing is so important that you pointed out that if you can restore sleep, um, just like movement and diet, that has such profound impacts on your both physical and mental health. Um, and it's another one of these things that often gets sort of pushed to the side. I mean, my wife, both of us have insomnia. My wife has it really severely. And, you know, looking at the treatments for insomnia, it's like, we're basically going to try to drug you to sleep. Your REM cycles and everything are going to be totally screwed up, but you'll technically be asleep in that you will close your eyes and you'll wake up some amount of time later. Um, but the quality of that rest is usually not there. And that's even if the drugs work at all. Right. Um, and that creates another spiral. That's just uh, this feedback loop 
um, you're continuing to get poor sleep, poor sleep, poor sleep. Well, then your body is going to continue to suffer. Your mental health is going to continue to suffer. And then you can see, like you mentioned, that mind-body connection. I mean, even though we don't understand that connection very well, it seems very clear. Um, and there is some very interesting like fMRI and, and clinical research and stuff on this that how you think, how your mental health you know is operating is affecting your physical health and it's not just a perceptual thing but certainly if you're depressed pain feels worse and you know different things like that but there's also uh, there's a direct connection between mental health and the immune system response and all these other things um and it's it's baffling to me that we can sit here and talk about this that the research is there you can read on these things it's not controversial you know these concepts and yet you don't see an application of this understanding in conventional healthcare. Um, and I'm, I understand the dynamics, you know, it's like a doctor only has a few minutes to see a patient and mm -hmm. systems that sort of, you know, create all of that, but it is, it is truly, truly baffling. Um, just how pervasive the, um, negligence is, I guess, to acknowledge those pieces. Um, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's super, super strange. Well, um, it's, it's, it's what's funded. It's truly about what's funded. And that just goes directly to the pharmaceutical industrial complex. Uh, when you think about people taking accountability and using alternative treatments, who are they? They're, they're the wealthy. They're the people that have the concierge doctors. They're the ones that have used integrative medicine and chiropractor and acupuncture and naturopath and supplements rather than pharmaceuticals. Uh, they're the people that are, you know, uh, pursuing these mind-bodied people that are meditating, people that are praying, mm -hmm. people that are eating organic foods, you know, all of this. And it, and it just falls into the wealthy. But one of the beautiful things about this plant is that people can grow their own they can start to modulate their own endocannabinoid system. They can find their own way to healing. And I've seen this, you know, organically just, you know, stem up in all kinds of people that have found this path that say, I'm reclaiming my health. I'm taking away uh, the, the, the dollars that I used to give to the pharmaceuticals and uh, I'm going to do things better. And, you know, that lies in, you know, part of what I personally want to do is get back to insurance companies with some evidence-based data and say, look, we can really change the trajectory of healthcare in America if you guys pay attention. And <laughs> prayers that the MORAG passes, <laughs> that you know we're going to deschedule cannabis to, it, because you know it's it's an impediment to stay on Schedule One, yeah. right? We can't have this be a Schedule One drug and say it can help you uh, because people are so stigmatized against yeah. this plant thinking that they're going to go crazy, thinking that it's reefer madness, thinking that, you know, they're going to go to jail and prison and, you know, lose their life and their livelihoods. And so there's a, a lot of education needs to take place. Absolutely. And I mean, we're now at a place, I mean, seeing the cannabis law reforms that happened in this recent election um, was mind boggling. I mean, I'm originally from Mississippi. So to see my home state, not only legalize medical marijuana, but legalize it in a way um, I don't know if you've looked at the program that they passed. So there was an interesting thing happening in Mississippi. So the uh, they put together this model that, to a large extent, kind of mimicked Oregon's medical marijuana program before legalization came through. And when Mississippi's government saw that, they were like, oh, no. And they put together their own uh, alternative 
medical marijuana initiative that had no definitions. You know, it was essentially an empty plan that if it passed, nothing was going to happen. It would just enter a, a sequence of bureaucracy that would never end. Um, and I was amazed to see that, you know, in my little home state where I'm accustomed to, you know, when I grew up, the prohibition was so strong at friends go to jail over cannabis, all these things. And now to see a bipartisan support for what really is a very liberal medical marijuana program, um, it just really opens your eyes to the fact that, okay, on a federal level, like we're at a point now where the absurdity is just through the roof. One in three Americans in the country lives in a place where you can get cannabis legally. Obviously, something needs to change. And hearing your your background in insurance, I, I wanted to get to this point. Um, what are the impediments to insurance companies covering cannabis therapies in states where it's legal? Is it just a federal thing? What needs to happen to open that up? Because I know a lot of people, a lot of medical patients or people that are in adult use markets that are using cannabis, you know, medically, which is tons of people, myself included, um, you know, one of the issues that gets raised is the expense, just how expensive it is. And even though they could grow their own, some of them maybe uh, don't have the resources to or whatever. So there is a, a cost issue. So what are your thoughts on that and how insurance and cannabis, you know, what are what are the hurdles and how do we move forward on that? Hmm. When I give my cannabis 101 presentations, especially to senior centers and that sort of thing, I, you know, I, I do tell people you got you got to financially qualify for this. You know, mm -hmm. if you can spend about 150 bucks a month, we can get started. Uh, and mm -hmm. you know, when you when you do the cost benefit analysis, you know, that's not a bad idea. But you know, it, it, I I just did an article about veterans and you know people that are you know veterans PTSD, chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia, depression, uh, all of these things. Uh, a lot of them will get a, a bucket of meds sent to their house mail order for less than a hundred bucks a month copay. And then they go into the medical cannabis programs and the study was out of Massachusetts. They're spending on an average of $300 a month. And so mm -hmm. that variance is, is, you know, unsurmountable for a, a lot of people uh, that don't have the, the funds. So, uh, but the barriers to insurance coverage are several. One, it needs to be descheduled, come off of Schedule 1, because obviously it can't be illegal. Two, yeah. uh, the FDA needs to get involved, and it's, and then there's two tracks. So is it, And I wrote an article about, is this a botanical supplement or is this a pharmaceutical? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is indeed both, right? So we have this as a botanical supplement. And if it goes that track, what do we need? We need good manufacturing uh, processes. We need um, mm -hmm. generally recognized as safe ingredients. We need organic certifications. We need uh, standardized, uh, reliable, consistent, because that's the other thing with cannabinoids. It's like, okay, if this works, how do I ensure that I can always obtain this? You know, if I, if I put a, a renewal for my Adver or my Effexor, it's going to show up and be the same thing every month. With cannabinoids, it might not be that way because this is a plant. And even if you take clone cuttings and grow them in separate greenhouses, you're going to have different uh, effects of the, the cannabinoids and the terpenes and the combinations based on the sunlight and you know, the air and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, standardizing. And yet, do we want it to be the, the pharmaceuticalized version? Do we want it to be Epidiolex? Do we want it to be, you know, 100 bucks a month versus $3,000 a month, which is the cost for Epidiolex? And, uh, you know, when we talk about THC, then that's a whole nother ball game, right? So I, mm -hmm. I work with a lot of like a four to one oil or a one to one oil, very effective, especially for seniors, 
you know, neuroinflammation, uh, physical inflammation, uh, sleep, anxiety, you know, those, those ratios. It, and, and I do a lot of, you know, 60 plus type of, of populations mm-hmm. and, and looking at, you know, how to, and, and they all have uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, inflammation, pain, insomnia, anxiety. Uh, you get to be seniors, uh, you know, uh, over 80. And how many of the percentage of that population is on Seroquel, Risperidone? Mm-hmm. They start taking antipsychotics because they're exhibiting dementia. And, you know, people with Alzheimer's, they're, they're on all of these pharmaceuticals and then they're on morphine and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And when you can start to say, look, we're going to use different ratios, different times of day and different effects and different cannabinoids and the acidics, uh, then you're going to put together this treatment plan that's going to be much more effective, much, you know, and, and then, okay, so insurance companies, what are they going to need? Uh, Cost-benefit analysis. They're going to need evidence-based p- pathways. And so, what I need to do now, and you know, when I see patients, I write a soap note, and that goes in my acuity scheduling. I need a, a, a really robust EHR where you can start to see that cause and effect, where patients can start uh, logging every, every day and tracking the data and and proving uh, the reductions in blood pressure and blood sugar, the reductions in depression, the improvements in sleep, the improvements in functionality, pain control, quality of life, uh, productivity, all those things. So when we start to plug in that, then we can go back and say, look, here are the variables that we've been able to, to you know tweak so that we have lower costs, better outcomes, and, and, and better productivity, happier people, uh, you know, and so that's the dream. And, you know, with my positions, I, I'm on two boards. Uh, one is the American Cannabis Nurses Association. And so with that, uh, I went to a nursing leadership conference uh, this summer and it threw exposure to somebody in one of the breakout rooms. It was all in Zoom, of course, because we're in COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was uh, this this PhD from the VA who had so many initials after her name and she, she was impressed with my story and what I'm doing. And she goes, would you speak to us for the uh, nursing organization for the veterans affairs? And so that was uh, what I recorded. That Nova presentation is on my website for anybody that wants to see it. And I put in there, you know, what the basics of the endocannabinoid system is, how cannabinoids work, uh, some of the pharmaceuticals they might be able to replace, uh, incidence of PTSD. And even if you just go to that and you're like, CB1 receptors are, are just profuse through the amygdala, <laughs> the hippocampus, all of these things where PTSD centers are, you know, the nightmares, the intrusive thoughts, the flashbacks, the anxiety, the, the, all of these uh, types of uh, conditions that can be modulated with CB1 activation of THC, CBD, bringing up serotonin. And, and now we can bring people to health. And, and you see these veterans that are responding very well to uh, cannabis. And so, you know, I hope that was a clarion call for them to look at this and say, mm-hmm. you know, we, we need to look at that. And I finished the presentation with the nursing organizations that are uh, active in this and some of the just even the fact that we have 1,500 nurses in the American Cannabis Nurses Association and Cannabis Nurses Network has about 500. Um, then my other board is uh, I'm the director of health for Los Angeles Normal. And so yeah. the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Uh, and so I serve on that board. And then there's a lot of nas- national presence, which is amazing because they tell me everything about you know, the, the different qualifying conditions and the state programs and increasing access and affordability. 
normal is really fighting to just legalize and normalize uh, recreational use and that sort of thing. And I keep fighting for there needs to be two paths. Yes, recreation yeah. needs to happen because it's a benign, safe substance that people can use. And, and B, uh, we have to uh, build that medical door where we can educate clinicians about this uh, and, and say, you know, here are the starting pathways. Uh, here's everything you need to know. And so, you know, between these two things, I'm trying to get out there and educate as many people as possible uh, to really move the needle on this. Yeah, absolutely. You just touched on something that has been very frustrating to me in Oregon. So when uh, legalization happened, um, they essentially normalized the rules for both medical and, and adult use uh, to be largely the same as far as the quality of products. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a crazy lost opportunity to do something special because in my mind, what I would like to see, and especially given my background working in testing labs and stuff like that, and sort of coming at this from a public safety perspective, you know, adult use cannabis, does adult use cannabis that's being used personally for whatever reasons you want to, you're over 21, you know, and just having the access, you know, given the safety profile of cannabis, and even when talking about contaminants and that sort of thing, you know, we can go down rabbit holes around all the contaminants you can find in cannabis. But at the end of the day, even with that piece uh, accounted for, cannabis is extremely safe. Um, and I'm not sure that we need such severe such strict testing rules on adult use cannabis. I mean, we don't have them on so many other things that we consume regularly that have all sorts of chemicals and things added to them um, that we don't question. But on the medical side, I would like to see strict testing rules and that if someone buys quote unquote medical cannabis, that they know that it has been held to this higher standard um, and that you know, things have really just been a lot of work done to ensure that you know the chemistry and that it's contaminant free and all these sort of things. And then the medical side has more meaning and more weight. Right. Um, but it seems like a lot of these states are, I don't know, I, I think it stems from this mentality when a lot of cannabis laws were starting to change. There was a lot of argument from opposing sides that all medical is, is a stepping stone towards adult use. Um, and I think that mentality has maintained. I think that a lot of people see that like once legalization happens, you don't need medical anymore. Um, and I'm I'm really disappointed to see that trend. And I'm glad you pointed that out. Well, I agree. And and this is you know and one of the I I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall down here in San Diego because you know and and remember I got into this in 2015. So uh, the, the thing is, uh, I've been knocking on the doors at dispensaries saying, allow me to build you the medical door, allow me to build patient teaching, allow me to do consults, allow me to start uh, shaping your formulary, which is, you know, for me, I call everything a formulary that's a drug list, the menu, you know, because, you know, I, and, and I want to have all these different categories. And so, you know, in, in what I've, I've created on my own, uh, is my course, and 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 it, I have a formulary and a toolkit where I've literally broken down uh, with all the indications, the dosage, the uh, the the uh, pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics of these different medications, 
um, and, and uh, then the, the titration schedule and, and, and who the population is that, that would be using this. So literally from every medicine that's in a California dispensary, I have dosing guidelines and I call that my formulary. And so I'm trying to tell the dispensaries, help me build a true medical door for you and we'll make a fortune together. And, and it's nothing but a closed door yeah. because of recreation. They're, they're just not interested. And, you know, the industry is so immature still because uh, there's, uh, it, 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 there's a lot of cowboys. There's not a lot of people that are making money on the medical side. There's nobody that are making money. You know, everybody's just kind of starving and, and it's, it's a pay to play. You have to just, you know, I, and I've been living on savings for the last five years, but you know, at some point that has to change, uh, you know, but what, so what I decided to do was just sidestep to the dispensaries. Well, I had my own collective for years and years. So with prop 64, that you know got rid of Prop 215, where we right. got to be able to have a collective. So when I first started doing this, 2016, I opened. Uh, so holistic caring was my uh, my nursing case management and one-on-one -on -one consultations, uh, and then I had Balance RX, which was my collective, and that mm. consisted of a lunchbox, the cooler that I would take out and go see patients, and I'd have a range of tinctures. I'd have a couple of microdosed edibles, generally one-to-one -one chocolate. I'd have topicals. I'd have some patches, um, and I'd have a one-to-one -one vape. So I'd, I'd have this, you know, little uh, pocket dispensary that I could take out and see patients, and that's what I what I used. And then Prop 64, I had to close that, right, and then yeah. send them back to the dispensaries, and I couldn't control the quality. I couldn't control, you know, that sort of thing, and. You know, and it's a very imperfect system. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what I ended up doing was just really doubling down on holistic caring. And I said, what I need to personally do is start really writing curriculum. And, and yeah. so uh, and, and during the run up to Prop 64, there was a lot of uh, medical cannabis is good for all of these things and a lot of media coverage on it because everybody wanted to get these things passed, right? And so San Diego, there was so much buzz and the Americans for Safe Access meetings and, and Women Grow and, and everything was just booming. Uh, and uh, that's when I had uh, to hire nurses. And so I needed to get some other nurses because I had a palliative care physician who was giving me referrals and um, you know, a perfect scenario, uh, those people benefit the most. Uh, so I needed to add a few more nurses to see all these patients. And so I wrote a training manual for the nurses and that training manual became my book, Cannabis for Health, Become nice. a Coach. And that book became a course. And so now at holisticcaring.com, you could look at my courses and see you know, what's in the, so module one is all of the history. So the, the history of cannabis as medicine, the history of prohibition, and then the history of the research and Meshulam and all of the early uh, studies into how CBD and THC works and that path of 20 years to find the receptors and then a few more to find the endocannabinoids and to, to lay it all out. And then uh, I break down cannabinoids. And so uh, endocannabinoids, phytocannabinoids, synthetic cannabinoids, all the pharmacology, how this works, pharmacodynamics, pharmacokinetics, what are the processes of, of the body utilizing these medicines. Then module two is all about the conditions that can be best served by this. So neurology, so neuro, neurological and neurodegenerative. Then I go into cancer. 
uh, and using it for palliative and then high doses mm -hmm. and, and how to really maybe treat cancer. We can't say that it treats cancer, but mm -hmm. can it, it, it can induce apoptosis. It can inhibit angiogenesis. It can uh, be antiproliferative. So, you know, we can definitely give people a fighting chance and the ability to tolerate the traditional chemotherapy and the other uh, modalities of, of care that they're going to have. Then autoimmune conditions. Imagine the sky's the limit with that because you've got inflammatory conditions going on in the body and cannabinoids might be able to clean the slate and reset things and, and give people back uh, you know, their, their function on that. Uh, then all of the uh, inflammatory things, cardiovascular, metabolic. So I have a whole section on that. Uh, and then mental health, anxiety, depression, uh, psychosis, bipolar, uh, insomnia, PTSD. How do you use cannabinoids for that? And then I cap that off with functional medicine and how to use uh, the phytocannabinoids for um, you know, all of these different ways to change the diet. And I'll even tell people, you know, microdose THC before you eat. Your, so going from processed foods and things that are mm -hmm. sold fatty and sugary to whole plant foods. Now, okay, I don't like salads. Well, <laughs> take, take your kale, your arugula, your, your spinach, uh, put some beets in there, put some red peppers, mm. put some lentils, uh, and, and some good dressing, stir that up and now have like two milligrams of THC before you taste it. Boom, now all of a sudden we can change your taste buds. How do we use uh, cannabinoids to get you out of pain so that you can move, to get you into a place where you can do that floor yoga every night so that you can take a walk and do some stretching, do some breathing. Now how do we take a one-to-one -one puff and have like two puffs of that, then sit down, quiet the mind, stop those incessant thoughts, go within, connect to yourself, your spirit, uh, and, and do some meditation and prayer, and then come out of that and, and try and have better conversations and better relationships with your, your, your family and friends and your coworkers. And in, in conjunction with therapy, how do you start speaking up and setting boundaries? Because holding in negative thoughts and things that you need to be expressing is what keeps us ill. And so you, you see the, the, the way that I work. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's really, you know, all encompassing, but that's what brings people to health. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no way to escape the interdisciplinary nature um, of all of this. And something you've brought up multiple times that I wanted to make sure to talk about is the, the cannabinoid ratios. Because mm -hmm. uh, one thing you keep bringing up is the one-to-ones. That's personally my favorite mm -hmm. uh, ratio, one-to-ones and four-to-ones um, when I'm you know, dealing with more serious issues with my back pain and that sort of thing. But let's spin out a little bit and, and talk about the ratios. Um, how, when you're working with someone and trying to think about what types of products might be best for them, um, do you have sort of some of these ratios kind of now categorized of what's most often going to be better for certain things over other things. Mm -hmm. um, and what should people kind of uh, know about the the ratios of these cannabinoids? Because it's getting more complex as more minor cannabinoids are being bred out and isolated and introduced into products and stuff. It's not just CBD, THC anymore. We've got CBG and CBN and all these other things, right. the acidic cannabinoids, which often get woefully ignored. Um, hmm. So uh, yeah, let's just spend a little bit of time talking about those ratios. Um, I guess to to start it, how did you come to discover that ratios are important? And then we can talk about how you apply them. 
Well, yeah, first of all, I was trained. Remember when I had my yeah. own collective? I was trained by medicine makers. I was trained by the people that were making these medicines. And uh, Akasha uh, was one of the first brands that I carried. And so uh, Julie, the formulator and owner there, started teaching me about these different cannabinoids and different ratios and uh, you know, the acidics and that sort of thing. And so, you know, but really it all goes back to pivoting around THC. How much THC mm -hmm. is needed? How much tolerance is there already? Uh, is this a novice? Is it a complete newbie? Uh, a, Elizabeth, I'm not going to smoke anything and I don't want to be high. Those are the first yeah. two things that most clients, especially over 60 or 70, uh, say to you. Uh, so, you know, you, you start low, you go slow. And, and again, you have to uh, set expectations. And this is a process. My job is to keep you safe. My job is to expose you to all of these routes of administration, maximize the benefits, minimize the harms, and give you your best efficacy and safety every day. So it's a path, right? Uh, but, you know, if somebody comes to me and their pain levels are a 7, 8, we're not going to start with a 20 to 1 or a 31. That's not going to do anything. I need THC to bring down those pain levels because you do want, you know, some efficacy out of the gate. So... I might start somebody yeah. with a, a four to one uh, for a few weeks uh, where it's four parts CBD, one part THC, but there's enough THC uh, to uh, have an impact. Uh, somebody that is really screaming, uh, you know, you might just start with a one to one and then control the THC exposure through dosing. So you, you, you might take a, a four to one, five to 10 milligrams, where a one to one, you're going to take two and a half to five, right? So, it, it, and, and so this is, and, and what I always say I love about this medicine is it mixes science and art. It, it gives mm -hmm. you the ability to study everything, know the pharmacodynamics of those different cannabinoids, and then uh, intuitively sort of pray about it and say, what do I need to help this person in front of me right now? And how do we get there? And, you know, when I explain things in this manner to patients, they always believe me somehow, you know, and I, and I don't go wrong for the most part. I haven't hurt anybody, you know, and, and the Hippocratic Oath is, First, do no harm. Uh, my Wesley Methodist oath is uh, do no harm and do all the good you can. And so right. I blend, I blend uh, all of my science and art and intuition and, and, and religion and, and just practicality and, and stair-step people through this process. And a lot of times also I'll talk about daytime and nighttime. So the ratios, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you might want that 10 to 1 as a morning dose. Maybe we have uh, some cognitive issues. So CBD, CBG, right? That's a beautiful, like the neuro formula. Uh, CBD, CBN at bedtime, uh, you can use those. Uh, and, and that might be a first uh, step that, again, going back to safety and reinforcing that for patients, especially elderly, um, you know, is a great way to go because uh, CBD, CBN, or a one-to-one. -one. So is there pain? Uh, is there a, a, a phobia of, of THC? Uh, and so as you're getting them more and more acclimated to THC, then you can use that. And, and you want there to be a certain hitch where that buy-in from the patient is, I get this. I understand what I'm doing. I'll take more accountability being that driver's seat of personalized medicine. And they learn to use the ratios. And so a lot of times I'll set them up with a kit. You're 10 to 1 uh, CBD, CB, uh, THC, or a CBD, CBG in the morning, uh, acidics in the afternoon. I do this a lot with cancer patients where mm -hmm. we'll use a CBD in the morning, a THC at bedtime, because you don't necessarily want CBD and THC present at the same time, because 
CBD is a partial antagonist. And so uh, THC, you know, you want that to lock on and really help uh, the body heal at, at night while they're sleeping. Uh, and then you give the CBD in the morning, backs that out, gives them a wake up. Uh, and then in the in the afternoon, if when we're trying to increase milligrams to get their their milligram count, some people want to go up to five milligrams per kilogram. I never believe in a, gra- a gram a day. You don't need a thousand milligrams of cannabinoids to heal cancer. Um, but you know, if if we do want to go to a few hundred milligrams, then you can introduce CBDA, THCA as an afternoon dose, right? And so you know, patient teaching again, of course, you have to go back to affordability. What are you treating? Yeah. That sort of thing. But as long as they know that you care, that you're knowledgeable, that you're not just making this up, you send them some articles to back up the science on what you're saying. Please share this with your doctors. I want the providers to always know what I'm doing. I always tell patients. Uh, please send your doctor to my website, have them read some things, have them call me. I will talk to them at no cost, telling them about what you can do here. Uh, you know, and, and not everybody takes me up on that. The doctors aren't necessarily uh, <laughs> ready to, you know, knock on the door and say, Elizabeth, train me. But, you know, that's where, you know, I, I have my, my protocols and my, uh, my courses because, you know, I, I talked about the first two modules. That last module in my course is, you know, what are patient considerations and legalities? Mm-hmm. What are provider considerations and legalities? What is the scope of care and standards of practice? What can I really talk about with these patients? What are the guide, the guardrails and the, and the guideposts yeah. to these conversations? What are the costs? What are the barriers? Some of the things that I've talked about here. How do I, uh, you know, what kind of resources do I need? Uh, even just going to PubMed and putting in cannabinoid and Parkinson's, cannab- cannabis and, and, and MS, cannabis and cancer. You, you need to teach them how to do this. And so, you know, like I, I could never stop working because this is this is my passion. This is my life. This is what I've become. And so, you know, at any point in, in the chain, whether patient, family member, provider, uh, I'm ready to provide what they need. Uh, and, um, you know, and then I close out that third chapter with all the regulatory stuff. If somebody wants yeah. to obtain a license, what is license for cultivation, manufacturing, Department of Public Health, extraction, testing, uh, distribution, microbusinesses, how do all of this work? Uh, and then what are the networking and things like that? So, you know, I have a really robust course that teaches people literally everything you could possibly need to know. And it's essentially a culmination of the last five years of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny to hear how your book and course developed because it's so similar to my work as well, even though we work in sort of overlapping but different fields or you're in the the clinical side and I'm more of like the lab science and yeah, research and and all of that. Um, But very similarly, you know, I've always had this passion for teaching. And so that was something I've always done. And then it's sort of like, oh, well, I, I need a textbook. I need, you know, I'm trying to share information with people and what I need doesn't exist. So you start writing sort of like casual things to give to people. It evolves. It becomes this whole thing unto itself. And, you know, and then years later, you're like, oh, I have a book and course, all these things that have developed organically out of the need that you have to to execute your passion, to um, to teach people. Uh, that's so cool. And one of the things that you just mentioned that I want to touch on before we end our conversation here, you touched on the idea that you don't need a thousand milligrams of THC mm-hmm. or cannabinoid to, you know, do something like treat cancer, but that's a widely held belief in the industry. It's something that gets, uh, 
perpetuated um, in dispensaries and things. Mm -hmm. So I guess one of the last things I want to ask you about are cannabinoid protocol myths. Uh, What are some myths that uh, you see in the industry or that are expressed from patients, that sort of thing, what people um, think that's needed in order to sort of, for lack of better words, make cannabis work, um, that actually um, isn't true? and, and you just touched on that that one, but are there others? And and do you have any concerns over how cannabinoid therapeutics is talked about in the industry? Because it's very casual. Right. Well, cannabinoid therapeutics in the industry is largely driven by bud tenders, and you know they don't yeah. have any clinical indications and protocols. They're just making this up, and they're trained by the people that come in and do the patient appreciation days. And that's a marketing rep that was hired for sales. And that's, uh, you know, just misinterpretation uh, that's just perpetuated down the line. I had somebody from Tikkun Olam who was their their representative telling me that a one-to-one is half sativa, half indica. Oh, geez. Oh, no. (laughs) Right? They don't even know that it's, it's, you know, CBD to THC. And this is the sort of thing that gets handed down to patients. But... You know, I mean, in the dispensaries, they'll say, okay, Pops, you're over 70. All you need is, is CBD, you know, and they don't understand that they absolutely have to have THC, uh, you know, for, for to get out of pain, to, to, to get to sleep. Or, you know, it, it's, again, this goes back to why we need to build the medical door. There needs yeah. to be, this is recreation and, and you can go and self-experiment all you want. But if you want to, to, to dial in efficacy, and, and really a- approach outcomes, a really approach, uh, you know, layering in how this interacts with pharmaceuticals and the things that you need to, uh, how many people know that you need to space your, your medications uh, in 90 minutes from your cannabinoids so that you can, and, and always give the drug first, allow that to process through the CYP enzymes. Yep. And then, you know, an hour or two later, then you have the cannabinoids and then CBD is not going to impact that metabolism of the drug. Uh, you know, bud tenders are never going to know this. So there has to be a medical door. But, you know, on the, the thousand milligrams, I, I believe that was perpetuated by the people that are making the oils. And, yes. you know, Rick Simpson basically started that off, RSO, full spectrum or fully extracted cannabis oil. Uh, you know, you take a thousand milligrams a day for 90 days. Uh, then that, then you're going to be healed, right? Uh, and these are myths. These are these are tales. But if you you know tune into Didi Mary and some of the scientists that are working on this around the world, they'll give you better protocols. They'll give you that five milligram per kilogram. And then the other thing, uh, you know. And so how do you do that? Okay, I'm 135 pounds. Divide that by 2.2. You get my my kilograms. It's like 60 64 kilograms. Uh, and then. Uh, you times that by five, and that's your maximum dose. And then how do you break that up between CBD and THC? Breast cancer, hormone-driven, endocrine-driven, you're going to want to take more CBD, very little THC. Lung cancer, brain cancer, you're, you want a one-to-one or a little more THC. And so, you know, and these are just things that clinicians have been talking about for years in medical conferences. You look over there, you see all my conferences. Yeah. 
right? Like <laughs> I've been to, you know, patients out of time a couple of times. I've been to ACNA conferences. I've been to NCIA. I've been to the Cannabis Science Conference. I've been to Women Grow many times. I've been to all of these different science conferences where people really do talk about this. And there is a medical door and can med. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's where the clinicians uh, share and, and, and exchange this information and the ideology on, on what we're doing. But, you know, Jason, the, the, the beauty about this is that we're just at the doorstep. Clinically, yeah. we're just at the doorstep. And the, the, the pathways that the, the reformers have uh, advocated for and led the, the, the door with, you know, uh, Americans for Safe Access and Normal and these organizations and NCIA all working collaboratively to uh, diffuse the myths, assuage the fears, build the system. Then eventually the clinicians will really get behind the wheel and start to really work with patients and understand the ability to wean off the pharmaceuticals to give patients better quality of life, quality of health, uh, less side effects. You're not doing uh, short-term or long-term damage to kidneys and livers and, and stomach and, and, and colons and all of this and brain. You think about all the harm that those pharmaceuticals year after year do, and then think about the cannabinoids. And, you know, we don't have uh, outcome data that says, you know, there is no long-term consequences of this, but I can't find any right now. Uh, it doesn't appear to be causing any harm when we're talking about biology and, and modulating mm -hmm. that. And then going back to, you know, the numbers and the milligrams and the protocols, that all needs to be uh, cause and effect and monitoring. So when I'm working mm -hmm. with a cancer patient, what's going on with your labs? What's going on with your scans? You know, maybe we need to flip these ratios. Maybe you need more THC for a while. Let's bring in some more of the acidics. But it's it's where we are working side by side uh, in collaboration with that patient, yes. which goes back to we need to involve the providers. We need the prescribers involved so that they can take care of their side of the treatment plan and we can take care of our side. Uh, and eventually we, we get to a seamless system where it all works together. Yeah, yeah. What you've just highlighted is I think something that's so important for people to understand that our current system has siloed different mm -hmm. pieces of the puzzle and is really preventing that that collaboration mm -hmm. um and absolutely i mean clinicians you know you mentioned the hippocratic oath like this is the the job of clinicians this is what you sign up for when you take mm -hmm. on uh this role in society um is to try to find how to improve quality of life minimize harms and you know help people get control over their health and to feel empowered um, rather than a slave to, you know, a system that's just sort of shotgun approaching everything all the time. Um, and so it's, there is an optimistic future on the horizon, um, for sure. And the work that you're doing and so many others that I've been talking to, you know, that are trying to figure these pieces out and share what they've learned and try to connect people with this truly medical side of the industry that, you know, there are these clinicians out there that are really trying to understand what's driving patient outcomes and trying to compare notes and, you know, doctors and nurses like looking at each other and saying, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Yes, no. Um, so that we can start to build a um, currently deficient system of understanding that should have been built over the past hundred years, but wasn't because of prohibition. Right. Um, so, you know, one thing I'm excited about with, um, you know, I mentioned at the uh, beginning of our conversation that you and I are um, founding members of a new organization. It's the Institute of Cannabinoid Medicine. 
And I'm, I'm hoping that through that organization, maybe we'll be able to bridge some of these gaps, um, connect these clinicians together, compare protocols and outcomes, and try to get some unified voices together um, mm-hmm. and to share information that's been reviewed by you know all of these clinicians and everything and take the, the best wisdom and understanding we can out of the experiences that all these clinicians are having. Um, and you know folks like myself coming from testing labs and get that have these sort of other perspectives on it and to distill that down into something meaningful that we can really drive towards that future, drive towards opening this medical door. And then for the folks that um, are you know self-experimenting with personal use, adult use and everything that they still have access to that information and that they know how to get there if they need to. Um, so that's all really exciting. And I'm really glad that you and I get to work together in that capacity to develop mm-hmm. some, you know, courses and content and critically evaluate all of this information and try to, mm-hmm. uh, do something special and, and pave that way. Um, it's, and, it's, and not only with the curriculum, but then my, my, uh, part, I think in all of this for the Institute of Cannabis Medicine or TIOCM.org, please check it out is building those consulting bridges, right? Yes. Take somebody like me and I can go in and train people at Scripps Clinic or Sharp Steely Medical Group and say, yeah. okay, give me 20 clinicians and two hours. And I will, I will take them through a presentation and give them some CE uh, and give them some, you know, a, a, a great way to start this uh, and, and getting the clinicians involved, getting them curious, and then think about them in their silos. Think about them uh, in the, in the mindset of futility and, and, and burnout and, and now give them the idea of how the endocannabinoid system can be modulated to enhance health and, and reinvigorate them back yes. into the practice and the discipline of medicine, which is really always science and art uh, uh, combined uh, and get them back into to passion uh, and, and driving outcomes that really make sense in a, in a much more holistic uh, and empowering way for the patients and the providers. Absolutely. And, and to wrap this all uh, mm. up nicely, it goes back to hope and restoring that, that sense of hope, not just in the patients, but also in the providers that a lot of them, and I know from talking to them, so many of them feel very depressed and constricted mm-hmm. and are trying to find ways to more um, effectively do their job, what yeah. they signed up for in the beginning. And so that you know this the grand piece of all of this is how do we restore hope to the healthcare system restore restore empowerment and hope to people everywhere that are trying to just gain control over their lives and maximize this finite amount of time that we have here you know in this existence as we know it and you know that's that's really what it's about so Hmm. Um, everyone listening, I, I hope you've really enjoyed this conversation. I've definitely enjoyed it. It's been really nice to, you know, finally be able to really connect one-on-one and dive into your story and, and, and learn more about all of the work that you're doing. And, um, in the last few minutes here, I always like to open up the platform, um, any, uh, uh, websites and other things, anything that you want to promote or any last, mm-hmm. um, notes or comments that you want to share, I hand over the podcast to you to close us out. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Jason. It's been amazing to sit here and talk with you for this time. 
Um, you know, people can find me at holisticcaring.com. Two C's in the middle, holistic caring. Uh, it's the totality of health and, and bringing things to, together, uh, mind, body, spirit, medicine, integrative medicine, uh, and cannabinoids. So holistic caring is where you can find me, Elizabeth with an S. I'm Swedish. Uh, so uh, Elizabeth with an S at holisticcaring.com is my email. If you'd like to reach me, just send me a quick note and uh, we'll engage. And uh, God bless you and the work you're doing. And thank you again so much for the invitation. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, and everyone that's been listening, if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, um, check us out at CACpodcast.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or LinkedIn. Um, and with that, everyone, stay curious and take it easy and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. Thank you.